We're going to go to Matthew chapter 10. And um, how many were here a few weeks, two weeks ago? Um, I spoke on a culture of grace. How many were here for that message for culture of grace? All right. If you weren't here, we don't have any recording of it or anything like that. But I just want you to know that we will be a house of grace. And what that means is grace elevates the standard. It raises the standard. Grace is the empowering presence of God that helps us do what we couldn't do without Jesus. All right, we got we to gotta wake up because I'm going to need your help today. All right, I, I, I'm not working alone today. I'm a team player. When I was a kid, I wanted the ball. I didn't care who else on the team had the ball. As I get older, I like to, I like to get some assists every now and then. I got a funny story. I got to tell it because it's so funny. So uh, Josiah has a, a cell phone now, which is crazy to me. Um, that he has a cell phone. And so he and his friends will text back and forth, right? You know, little 12, 12 and 13 year old boys text. There's probably a lot of really cool stuff in there, right? So I was, he's like, hey, dad, my friend Adam, uh, he's, he plays basketball and he, he here's his stats. So he's telling me his stats from yesterday. Now, this is what the kid sends to Joe two ankles, 15 points, three rebounds, and one assist. That was his stat line. Two ankles. When I was growing up, we didn't have no ankles category of breaking people, they, breaking their ankles. You cross them over and they got falls and stumbles. So kids these days now are counting break, broken ankles as a statistic. And they're telling all their friends how cool it is. I just thought that was funny. But he had one assist. And I was like, all right, as you get a little bit older, you will learn that assist. I, I, Josiah one time was asked, talking about playing basketball and sometimes the bigger kids and he's a little bit smaller, he can shoot, awesome. Um, but I was like, Josiah, I'll tell you the key to always being picked first in basketball. He's like, what's that, Dad? You dunk. If you can dunk, you can be no. Uh, first thing you need to do is pass the ball to your friends. Yeah. If you pass the ball, they will always want you on the team because they know, Josiah will pass me the ball. I want him on my team. Yeah. And so that's the key. So if you get picked last, be a better assist person. So yeah. as I was younger, I was not good at assisting. I like to uh, work alone. But now I need your help. So how many are going to help me today? Yeah. All right, we're not going to break any ankles. We're not going to cross you over or anything today. <clears throat> I want to talk about a culture of honor, though. Now, honor is one of those strange words that when I say it, we all think of a different meaning in our heads of what it means. Yeah. And that can be a dangerous thing because in a world system, honor looks like this kind of a triangle. All the, the, the less important people are at the bottom working really hard to make the people at the top look really good. I'm telling the truth. That is the world system, right? But in the kingdom, that's not honor. That's actually abuse. It's abuse. It's actually witchcraft. If you really want to break it down, it's actually witchcraft because what I'm doing is I'm using my talents, my gifts, my abilities, and my ability to... to manipulate other people to serve my needs. That's actually witchcraft. And what I want to do is I want to flip that triangle upside down in the church. Because if, if we're called, how many here feel like you have been called into ministry? Like you're going to be, a, you're a minister, you're a reverend. Raise your hand. There's a few of us in the room. I know Matt, Kyle, Danny, our wives. Uh, we're called to ministry. Did you know that that actually means we're called to be servants? Yep. Exactly. And that God gives us specific talents and abilities and puts us in a local church to serve the needs of the church. Yep, that's right. Like he actually gave us, and in the wrong triangle, 
when, when someone says pastors and, and evangelists and teachers and all these are gifts to the church, it hurts our feelings. We're like, well, wait a second. You think you're all that? You think you're a gift to the church? Who do you think you are? Why do we think that? Because when we say, oh, the pastor is a gift to the church, that means everyone serves the pastor. No, actually, because we're a gift to the church, we actually serve you. The pastor anointing on my life was given to me to serve your needs. The evangelist anointing on Pastor Danny's life, evangelist Danny, and his life is, is for other people. It's not for his benefit. Your gift of prophecy, these things that God gives us, they are gifts to serve the body. So in a culture of honor, the triangle's flipped upside down. And the higher you go in leadership, old language, the lower you really go on the pyramid. I mean, the Bible tells us to copy what Jesus did. He said, actually, this is exactly what it says. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. Well, I want you to think for a second. What attitude did Jesus have? He told us. Jesus did not consider equality with God something that he would strive for. But he humbled himself to what? To become a servant. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I want you to think about that for a second. You're hanging out with Jesus. How would you feel if he said, hey, I need to wash your feet? No, 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 no. I'd be like, uh, I'm washing your feet. And what did Jesus say when Peter said that? Hey, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part in my kingdom. Why? Because the serving pulls people into kingdom encounters. Being served isn't what brings us into the kingdom. It's the serving that brings us into the kingdom. So it's really important we understand this. And I do want to take my time today. And I want to do my best. I even thought about opening it up and having questions asked. But some people asked questions before service already, not knowing this was the topic. And I was like, great, that's a great example. We'll throw that in. I, this is so, I can't tell you how important a culture of honor is to me. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I am way more interested in the way we treat people than our theology. I care about theology, trust me. Absolutely. But if our theology is all tied up, we think, and we treat people poorly, the Bible says that our, our, our religion is worthless. And I don't want to have worthless religion. So to me, a culture of honor is probably one of the most critical things that we have to do really well here to see God's kingdom come to earth. Amen? So let's read this scripture and we'll jump into it. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 41 and 42. It says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive the righteous man's reward. Pretty good, huh? And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say, you will not lose your reward. In another place, it says, if you've done it unto them, you've done it to me. So here's a culture of honor. I think it's really important we start here. Honor works with grace. Uh, I scripted out these next few weeks and what we're speaking about because I, I want to build the culture here. I, I'm a culture person. I think uh, one of the, the great thinkers of today said, culture will eat a mission statement and vision statement for breakfast. 
Because we can say we have this mission, we can say this is what we believe, but culture is actually what we really do. And I want us to have a culture where honor works with grace to bring transformation to people's lives. Amen? So what do we mean by culture? Let's use this definition again. I'm quoting Matthew Wagner. The thoughts and behaviors that exist without any effort in a group of people. It is what those people think and do when they're not thinking about what they're doing. So when I say I want us to have a grace culture, I want it to be natural to have grace on people, for people and for ourselves. When I say I want to have a culture of honor, I want it to be natural for us to treat people with honor. Amen? Let's interchange that word culture with government. I want us to have a government of honor. We will be a community that is governed by honor. Our constitution is honor. You guys okay? All right. So let's define honor. Because if we say honor, and we all have a different definition of it, then we're all going to have different expressions of what we, we think that looks like. But let's start at the starting point and move from there, all right? So honor means to elevate the status of another. To pull the glory or the gold that's in them to the surface. Yes. Good, good. The word honor actually comes from the word kabod. How many knows what the word kabod means? The weighty presence of God. So when we honor other people, we're bringing them into an encounter with the presence of God himself. Honor is a powerful thing. Yeah. Honor elevates people out of who they think they are in the moment into what Jesus says that they are. Honor means that uh, accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and allow us to receive the gift that's in them. What do I mean by that? It's the scripture we just read. If we honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, we get the reward of the prophet. If we honor a righteous person because they're righteous, we get the righteous person's reward. Same thing here. If I look for the gold inside of someone and I don't get tripped up over the things we disagree about, I don't get tripped up over what they're not, well, they're still really immature in this way. Well, then don't look at their immature areas. Find what's really great about them and spend more time in the great area and watch it bleed over into the other area and watch them become elevated in their existence. Same for us. Man, I would love for every one of you to look past my faults and flaws and look for what's good and say, hey, Jared, this is how I want to have a relationship with you. This is what I really value about you. Let's build a relationship on this. And watch what happens if you honor a person, a righteous person in the name of a righteous person. The gift that God has hidden inside of them is now accessible to you. And you partake of the reason God gave them the gift in the first place. But if we don't honor that person, we don't get the reward that comes from them. How many of us, I'm talking to me here, every week when I'm up here, I'm talking to me, just so you know. Let's get this straight. How many times have I or us sat in a service with a specific type of minister and we said, man, I just didn't get anything out of that. How can you not get anything out of the word of God? 
I don't care if a donkey's up here talking. A person of honor will always get something out of it. Uh, someone used to say, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. If you don't like some of the stuff about them, maybe it's their personality. Maybe it's this. Well, you know what? They're actually probably um, manifesting the greatest part of who they are. And it just annoys you. Well, get over it. Man, we, we ran into a conflict this week because uh, in a small town, we were, I went with Kyle and Brian Seven Project, a small town, all the churches decided they didn't want to have this uh, uh, assembly after the, uh, have the service that night after the assembly because there was a woman pastor involved. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And, and you know, we say that, yet some of us don't want to listen to a woman pastor. If we don't honor who God has made them to be, we don't get their reward. So you're right. We can sit in a service where someone leads worship or someone preaches the gospel or someone prophesies over us and we say, man, that, that was not for me. That word didn't mean anything to me. Maybe we didn't have our honor on. Right. <laughs> honor breaks down that arrogance that we have where we've got it right and they've got it wrong and everyone should be like me and they're not like me so I, I don't want to hear from them. No, honor breaks through all of that. The main purpose for a culture of honor is to give people a demonstration of what heaven looks like. Listen to me. When we honor each other, it's love. And what did Jesus say about that? This is how people will know you're my disciples. By the love you have one for another. Did you know that when we learn to honor one another and to elevate and pull the gold out of one another... We are actually showing people what God is like. And we're bringing heaven into our reality right there. Amen? Therefore, a culture of honor is an atmosphere that we purposely create where people are treated and dealt with according to who they are. Sorry, there's an extra according in there. To who they are in God. I, I did not edit it. I'm sorry. According, according, extra words. My bad. Honor says, I'm going to treat people the way Jesus sees them. I'm going to look through his eyes and treat them well. All right, y'all ready? When we treat people with honor, people will act according to who Jesus says they are. Have you ever tried that before? Like, okay, look, I know they're not there, but I'm going to be nice to them. I'm going to kill them with kindness. Have you ever tried killing someone with kindness? We don't get along really well. Well, You know what? I'm going to kill them with some kindness. It may take some time. But over time, when you kill someone with kindness, what happens? They become kind. You become friends. You now have created a relationship based on gold that's inside of them that was not there before simply by treating them according to who God says that they are. All right. A foundational key that we have to understand about a culture of honor is this. We have to understand that God is dealing with us, present, future, and I've said this before, not present past. What I mean by that is God is not looking at our past saying, oh, you really messed up here, so I've got I've to discipline you and hurt you and punish you now because of what you did yesterday. That's really not how God works. God actually is from the future to now, and he speaks who we are. He comes along and says, hey, come on, do better. You can do better. than You're better than this. This isn't who you are. You, you fell short here. Get up. Let's go. Move on. He doesn't beat us over the head, right? right? 
See, our, our limited understanding is from the past until now. Like, did you know that in almost all of our decisions that we make, we take everything we've learned and experienced from the past until now, and we try to base our future decisions based on past information. That's just, man, we've been struggling with our finances forever. We sit down, we try to work on our finances, we use all the wisdom we've ever had in the past for finances, and we try to apply it to now, and guess what we end up doing? We're dumb. <laughs> we do the same thing we've always done. Because it's our past experience. We're bringing all of that with us into now. But a culture of honor says, okay, I've always done it this way. God, I'm moving now into the future. And I need to know how I need to make decisions on my finances from here on. Guess what we do in that situation? We go find someone who has it together. Who knows better than we do in finances. And we go hang out with them. And we go pull on their honor. We go rub shoulders with them and say, you know what? I honor this gift in you to be debt free. We've tried and tried and tried and tried to be debt-free, and we've never been there. So I'm going to come hang out with you for some time. And you're going to deposit a gift inside of me of thinking differently than I have from the past until now. Yep. That's a culture of honor. Amen. 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 Isaiah 42.9 says it like this. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. Before they spring up, I declare them. I proclaim them to you. See... Another scripture says God does nothing on the earth without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So God loves to announce what he's about to do. Why? Because he's prophesying. He's creating structures. He's doing something different than what we've experienced before. Matthew 4, 4 says it like this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that Does it say precedes or proceeds? Proceeds. From the mouth of God. See, preceding word is what he said to me yesterday or the day before or years before. It's still good. Yep. It's still living and active. It's still the word of God. Yep. But the proceeding word is a current word for me right now into where I'm going tomorrow. See, a proceeding word, the goal of this is it creates structures inside of us that build us up so that we can become who he sees us as. This is called instruction. Instruction. It's in internal structures. So when God speaks to us prophetically, he honors us by speaking into us. He builds structures inside of us that we may be carriers of what he's about to release into our life. Oh, come on. I gotta say that again. He will come to you and honor you by speaking prophetically into your life a proceeding word that goes internally and begins to expand and make us larger on the inside, and build structures in us that weren't there before, strengthen foundations so that what's about to come will have a place to settle and rest. Examples. Abram, you will be the father of many nations. His name was Abram. It wasn't even Ha yet. There was no ha in his name yet. He had no children. Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor, hiding in a wine press. Threshing, threshing floor wheat in the wine press, right? David, you're going to be the king after Saul. He's been out by himself for years. He probably talks to himself because he's been out with the sheep all the time. And God says, you're the next king of Israel. Yeah. Esther, who knows, but maybe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. 
prophetic word of honor into her life. Mary, you're going to have a child by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. See, God always announces these things. This is, this is prophetic, but it is also a culture of honor. Everyone still with me? See, a culture of honor is the fertile atmosphere where our inheritance becomes our reality today. See, in a culture of honor, the language shifts from one of these days, I'm going to be debt free. One of these days, I'm going to speak properly to my wife. One of these days, one of these days, a culture of honor prophesies it as if it's already happened. Calling those things that are not as though they are. That's what a culture of honor does. It looks past all the mess. And it looks for the seed of God that's planted inside of every person. I believe, I believe in my heart that God has put himself. He's created us in the image of God. And even people that don't know the Lord have the image of God somewhere hidden deep inside of them. And if we will honor them enough to dig past and find that gold and pull it to the surface, they'll get a demonstration of what heaven looks like. Here's some characteristics of a culture of honor. The first one is there is freedom freedom everyone say freedom. freedom you know this second corinthians three seventeen. where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom freedom i'll talk more about freedom in the future i don't have time today but let me say it this way freedom means you get to choose whatever you do that's pretty Oh, shucks. <laughs> freedom means you get to choose. Yeah. Even our little kids that we think we are in control of. They're actually, they actually have the gift of God called self-control. And we can't demonstrate self-control if there's no freedom. And what we like to do in church culture is remove all of the negative consequences or potential for negative consequences. Let's just move all the, you know, it'd be like put everyone in a padded room and get all the sharp objects out of the room. This is the kind of church we want to have. No sharp objects, no, no corners where kids can run and hit their head, no swings because swings are dangerous, no playgrounds like, like we live in today, like kind of playgrounds today. No, no more Ferris wheels, no more fun stuff for kids to get on like, because kids can get hurt and we don't want people to get hurt. So we take away everyone's freedom. In the church, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go here and you can't go there because you could get hurt if you do it. And what we end up doing is we take away everyone's self-control and we implement control. And now all of us have, have handed away our control of ourselves to somebody who's powerful. And the powerful mean people that are in authority in the triangle get to tell all of us what to do because they know best. Ooh, we could dig. Let's go to the garden real quick, just for fun. This is just for fun. This is free. God wasn't even scared of the two trees in the garden. If he was scared of them partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and bringing sin into the world, why wouldn't he just not put that tree there? Just save us all the trouble. 
and get rid of that tree and don't let us make decisions. Let's just, just don't control me. Don't let me go near that tree. Just take the tree out. I can't fall if there's no tree. But even God, even God, sovereign, omnipotent, all-powerful God put the two trees in the middle of the garden and said, you get to decide. Don't eat of this tree, but you, you get to choose whether you eat of it or not. If God can do that, can we create a culture in the church that has the same atmosphere? It says, look, we can't take away all the sharp objects and all the dangerous toys. You're going to have to figure this out because you can control yourself. You can hear from God. This goes with it. So because there's freedom, everyone is powerful and everyone is responsible. <laughs> so because we're all free, guess what? All of us in the room now are powerful. We're all powerful. We all have the power to decide for ourselves. What did Joshua say? Choose for yourselves today whether you're going to serve God or you're not going to serve him. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You choose for yourselves. He even said like this, if, if serving God isn't desirable to you, then don't serve him. But we're going to serve the Lord. So in a culture of honor where there's freedom, everyone is also powerful and everyone is responsible. Now, that's the key to it. Because there's freedom and because I'm powerful, I also have a responsibility for what I choose to do. Everyone has the power and responsibility to hear from the Lord themselves. Everyone has the power and responsibility to choose for themselves. And then this is my favorite. Everyone also has the power and responsibility to clean up their own messes. Did you know in a culture of honor, cleaning up a mess when we make it is, is vital to a culture of honor? Here's an example. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. I mean, remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man? <coughs> he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus. He invites Jesus to his house, and Jesus is like, sure, I'll come to your house, making all the religious people angry again. Because Zacchaeus was, was embezzling money from people. He was the IRS of the day. How else can we get more money from these people? And he would not just get it from them for the government. He would put it in his own pocket. He was not a nice guy. I bet he didn't have any friends. He was little and had no friends. And Jesus is coming to his house. And guess what happens as Jesus is going to his house? Zacchaeus, just being around Jesus, says, you know what? I have stolen a lot of money from people. And here, I'm going to give it all back to them times four. And I'm going to sell stuff just to pay them back. Did Jesus say, repent? You're an evil man. Jesus didn't even say one word to him about his wrong or what he did wrong. And not one thing about his sins or about how he mistreated people. He didn't say a word. He just hung out with him. He honored Zacchaeus by coming into his home. And by honoring Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, however you want to say it, he came into his home, which honored him. It elevated how he saw himself. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, how could I mistreat these people? How could I defraud them out of their money? They worked hard for this. 
And because he was in the presence of freedom, he chose to make things right, which is called repentance. We can't make you repent. Repentance comes from a response to the culture of honor. I got it. I'm going to tell the story, the shortest version there is, right? Years ago, we were at Bethel, and they have a Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And this was early on. They actually only had about 175 to 200 students at the time. Now it's, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000. It's ridiculous. So the school starts, and they have a first year, and they have a second year. So after you graduate first year, you're, you're put in places of leadership and authority. And there's a young couple there. They're engaged to be married. And they're on the worship team, and God's using them mightily and powerfully. And guess what happens over the summer? She gets pregnant. And they knew it was wrong, and they felt horrible for it. And so they, they come to the, the school leadership, and they're like, guess what? We had sex over the summer, and she's pregnant. Like, oh, have you repented for that? Oh, yeah. We repented, and we haven't done anything since. We put boundaries up. We did all these things. And so Danny says to them, well, then, then what's the problem? And they're like, uh, I don't think that you heard what we said. We're school of supernatural ministry students called into ministry, and we had sex over the summer. And she's pregnant. He's like, yeah, but what's the problem? Did you repent? Yeah, we repented. Well, what's the problem? I don't know. The kid's like, I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Danny tells it the best. So you have to listen to Danny Silk tell it. It's funny and it's hilarious. I don't know what the problem is. He goes, so he begins to ask them questions. Well, what was the problem? Why did this happen? Well, probably because we were hanging out till two in the morning watching movies. I could probably set up the atmosphere, but that's probably going to happen. You're already in love. You're engaged. That's probably going to happen. What, what else? He's like, well, I totally didn't want to. I'm telling you exactly this is the way. I didn't want to do it, but, but I would say no to her, and she would throw a fit, and she would get angry with me, get mad. I was like, this, this is not, this is a weird story. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> She's like, no. Huh. He's like, I don't want to do this. And she would get mad, and she'd throw a fit, so i just give in. He's like, I'm not, I'm not saying I didn't do anything wrong. I was totally there. I was part of it. He's like, well, what's the problem? He's like, I don't know. He's like, do you think that it's a problem that people can get angry and make you do something that's below your standard of living? Yeah. He goes, so is that the problem? Yeah. Has this been a pattern in your life? The kid says, yeah. People get angry. I'll do whatever they, whatever they want me to do just so they're not angry anymore. He goes, well, that's a problem. Let's yeah. fix that. So he asked him, would it be worth your time if we could fix that? He goes, oh, yeah. So they, they work through that. They minister to the young lady. And she, she hates to feel rejected, right? And rejection is an issue. So they ask, so do you think it'd be worth your time to deal with the root issue, issue of rejection? Oh, yeah. And they do. So he's like, well, what else are you guys going to do? And they're like, well, we had sex, pregnant, rejection, people are angry. I, I don't know. He's like, well, don't you think that you need to to clean up your mess? Don't you think there's some people you need to talk to? See, one of the, the, the boy, um, his home church actually took up an offering every month and sent it to help pay for his school. So he's like, don't you think you need to make things right with your pastor and your church? Oh, yeah. He's like, well, are there, are there other people you need to apologize to? And so he starts going down and she's going down. They make a list of everyone they need to go to and explain what happened. 
And when I first heard the story, I sat there and wept because of the way, <laughs> the way they were treated was beautiful. And the worst time of their life in the moment could have gone really bad for them. But God allowed people to see past that and in a culture of honor, says, no, there's something redeemable inside of them that we have to fight to protect. And they're worth fighting to protect. I don't care what chaos is going on in their world. There is something in them that's worth fighting for. And they stood up and they fought for it. So they made a list, including Bill Johnson, Chris Dalton, Danny said, of all the people they needed to go to and make things right. So they gave them a week. They called everybody. They made things right. And they said, is there anyone else that you think you need to apologize to and make things right? They're like, um, yeah, our, our second year students with us. There's 47 students. Yeah, we need to tell them what's going on because this affects them. This hurts their reputation. You need to stand before them and give an account. So they do. They go into the room, those students, they tell them what happened. They tell them what they went through and how there's freedom in their life. And now they actually feel free like there's a transformation that has taken place through honor. And guess what those 47 students do? They get mad and walk out of the room. I'm kidding. That'd be the worst story ever. They all run up to this couple, put their arms around them and begin to pray and prophesy over them. And then they put their hands on her womb and her stomach and begin to prophesy over this child that's illegitimate and begin to prophesy over it. So then they go and they apologize to the first year students that they don't even know because it affects them too. And the same thing happens. All hundred of those students run up and begin to pray and love on and prophesy over this couple. A few months go by and the baby's born and there's complications with this child. The, the doctor says the baby's not going to live. Just, I'm, we're sorry, we, we, we don't see any way of this working out. And guess what those students did again? They stood with their friends, and they called on God, and they said, God, no, you have a plan for this child's life. You have a purpose for this child. It was conceived through weird circumstances and outside of your will circumstances, but you have redeemed this moment. And they prophesied over this child and over this family, and the little girl lived, and she's completely healthy and whole. And now this, this couple married in the ministry, still serving God and preaching the gospel and being used by God. Why? Because a culture of honor was put in place. Yeah. A culture of honor was put in place. Y'all give me a few more minutes. Yeah. You know, let me say. Come on. We put a culture of honor like that in place. And when our kids try drugs for the first time or second time or third time. They're going to feel safe to come to us and tell us. <laughs> They're not going to feel like they have to hide. I'm sorry, I'm a crier. They'll get used to it. <sighs> I want my boys, if they ever do anything so stupid, <laughs> if they ever do anything so stupid, I want them to not be afraid to come tell mom and dad that we're not going to turn our love off and we're not going to kick them out of the home. We're not going to punish them until they feel bad enough. They'll have to clean up their mess, absolutely, but we're going to be there with them to help clean it up. We're going to give them the tools and teach them how. And I want to create a culture here where young people can come in here with any kind of background. Someone who's been married 18 times can come in here and not worry about it because they know that we're going to help them be restored to who they're supposed to be. An addict, someone who's having a struggle with pornography, someone who's struggling with alcoholism, I want them to feel safe and say, hey, man, i got a problem. Good. 
Because the culture of honor will take care of that. Because you're powerful. You're powerful. And you have the ability to respond to God. And you are able to clean up your mess. See, in a culture of honor, relationships have to matter. They matter. See, in a culture of honor, we won't let another person's fault dictate the way we treat them. See, honor is not earned. Honor is not something earned. It's something we choose to give somebody. It has no stipulations, no contingencies, and no exceptions. Well, I will honor you if. I will love you if. No, a culture of honor is on, period. It stays on. It doesn't go off. All right, a couple more things and we'll close out. Everyone is equal, but not everyone is the same. This is fun for me. I I love this because everyone is equal, but we don't treat everyone the same way. Do you know why? I used to play football and and, and other sports, and I was always the good kid in practice. I never, whatever the coach said, I did it, man. If he said do 100 push-ups, I'm doing 100. If he said do bear crawls, you know, I did whatever he told me to do. But there weren't always kids on the team that listened to the coach. And the way we were growing up, they, they probably don't do this now because everyone's a sissy now, but the way it was when we were growing up was if someone breaks the rules, what happened to the whole team? The whole team had to run. And you know what happens when you do that over time? You tell the kids that are doing things the right way that it doesn't matter to do things the right way. So guess what? You don't try as hard. It doesn't matter. They're going to mess up and I'm going to get punished for it. So why try? In a culture of honor, we don't treat everyone the same. We treat everyone equally. We love everyone the same. But everyone has to be treated according to who they are and their gifts. Everyone has different love languages. If, if everyone in here's love language, uh, if my love language is words of affirmation, and I expected everyone here to have words of affirmation, and that's the only way that we gave love was through words of affirmation, the people that had physical touch and quality time and these other love languages would feel missed out. See, honor removes the cookie cutter, one size fits all relationship with God. I love diversity. I love not just diversity of color, diversity of backgrounds. I love diversity of gifts and talents, diversity of styles. Come on. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God, but we don't treat everyone the same. Let's look at this thing. It's called relationship rings. And if we can have five, maybe ten more minutes, we'll be done. This is from Danny Silk from his book, Keeping Your Love On. And if you can't read it, it says, this might be news to you, but not everyone should have the same access to you. And if you can see, these are people and these are rings as they get further away. The inside ring there, the red ring with the one, that's God's spot. No one can be in that spot. Only God. If I put my wife in God's spot, then I'm going to have some trouble. If I put my children in that spot, I'm going to have some trouble. If I put my job there, I have some trouble. Come on. Only God can be in my God spot. Yes. Then there's another ring where there's only room for one person. This is your plus one. That's it. This is my wife's spot. My sons can't take this place. My dad or my mom can't take this place because I left father and mother and I've cleaved to my wife. That's Mandy's spot. That's your spouse's spot. Or if you're single, that's your son or daughter or your best friend's spot. No one else can be there. 
And as the ring goes out, the next one has room for more. It's your children, fathers and mothers. And the further it goes, the less access these people have to the intimate places of your heart. (laughs) We've had to do this a lot. We've had conversations in our home with our kids where we say, hey, kids, this is a family conversation. No one else gets to hear this conversation. Not because we're trying to hide something, but because we're valuing something. It's just between us. And we tell them sometimes, hey, boys, this is a mom and dad information. This isn't for you guys. So we're not going to inform you about this. It's not because we don't love you. It's because mom is so special to dad and dad's so special to mom. It's between us. And as that ring goes out further and further, you give people less access to yourself, but we still honor people. So if someone's, you know, three or four rings out, there's an appropriate level of of, uh, intimacy in the relationship that we guard and protect, but we don't break down those barriers and let them in, and we don't push them way out into exile without talking to them. We'll talk about this more in the future, but I wanted to introduce it here because If I treated everyone in this the same, my wife would not feel special. If we're having a conversation at home and I get a phone call or a text message and my wife and I are talking and I answer that because it's someone else in that ring, then what have I just communicated to my wife? Hey, they're either equally important to you or more important and that's not going to work. I had, we had a birthday party yesterday for, for Matthias. We were playing. I didn't answer my phone. I didn't respond to text messages. I was gone. I'm so sorry. I, and, and sometimes you forget things, right? But I'm with my kids. I want my kids to know I'm here with you. I, I'm putting this phone away. I'm with you, right? All right, let's move on. We love everyone the same, but we deal with them differently. Quick story. So Bill Johnson pastored in Weaverville, and then he moved to Reading. And he's preaching a service, and a lady comes up to him and says, hey, hey uh, you remember me? He's like, yeah, I remember. You used to go to the church in Weaverville. She's like, yeah, this is after service. And she says, I, I tried to commit suicide this week. And guess what? Before he, Bill says before he thought, this is what he said, well, then you need to repent. Now, everyone had the same reaction, because generally, that's not the advice you give someone who's suicidal. You need to repent. <laughs> and that's not Bill either. If you've heard Bill been around, that's not him at all. He knew it was God speaking through him. And so he says, you need to repent. And she looked at him and she says this. When you said the word repent, I literally saw the word repent come out of your mouth and it went into my heart and it did something inside of me. What's the point? We love everyone the same, but there are different ways of handling different circumstances. Sometimes the person tries to commit suicide and we sit and just cry with them. Sometimes we say, you need to repent. It's different. That's still a culture of honor. All right, we'll close with this. Confrontation is important in a culture of honor. We cannot have a culture of honor without confrontation. It's the least fun part of a culture of honor, but it is vital. Because we think, and again, in the future, when we have more time, we'll do a whole segment on confrontation. Because to us, most of us, confrontation means fight until we aren't friends anymore. It's a slow battle. Like, this is the first battle, confrontation, and then there's like six more, and then we just don't even talk anymore. 
because confrontation has been scary to us. But people of honor are prepared to confront behavior and attitudes that threaten the relationship. If I'm doing something that threatens our connection, you better confront me. If I talk down to you and make you feel insignificant and I don't even know I did it, you need to let me know I did it. Because I don't want to talk to people that way. I don't want my kids to feel that for me. I don't want to. So there has to be confrontation. The goal of confrontation is always to add value to the relationship. It's never to bring disconnection. Usually we wait to the last minute to have this one big confrontation because our goal now is I don't even want to be friends with you anymore so we're disconnecting and this is how we're going to do it. I'm confronting you because I've been needing these things for you this whole time. You haven't done them for me but I haven't told you but you haven't done them so now I'm going to leave you and hurt you. People of honor learn to express what we need from the relationship. If I don't tell you what I need, if you don't tell me what you need in our relationship, then how do I know? How do I even have an opportunity to meet your need? I even mean, if my wife needs a hug and I'm not picking up the signs, she should say, hey, babe, I just need a hug. Oh, yeah, babe, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's her, her belly's there right now. I can't even yeah, hey baby. <laughs> if, if if we need if we need time alone, I need to say something. If my boys need my time, they need to be able to tell me. Alright? We good? We're almost done. Because people of honor value getting feedback. Giving and giving getting feedback. Feedback creates an awareness of how others are experiencing us and how we're experiencing others. <clears throat> and it gives us the opportunity to move toward them in a relationship. It says, I care about you. I want to meet your need. Is this making any sense? So in a culture of honor, one of these days I'm going to share some personal stories of us putting this in practice. Some of them are way too fresh to share right now. But I, I will say this. <clears throat> I will risk my reputation to protect my relationship with somebody. I mean that. <laughs> in a culture of honor, there's, there's information that doesn't belong to everyone. I mean this. If you tell us something in the altar, we're not going to talk about it in a staff meeting. Yeah, come on. It's not their information. The same... What's done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. That, ain't, that message doesn't go here. That's, that's misusing the scripture. We don't need, oh, you just need to be aware so you know how to, no, 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 none of that mess. That's just an excuse to tell people stuff. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers brokenness. Love covers wounds. And you know what? I've had so many people over the years say, well, how do you think that looks up for the church? I don't care how you think it looks for the church. It's not my job to manage how you think the church looks. That felt good. It's not my job to manage how you view the church. It's your job. But it is my job to manage how the people in my church view me as their pastor. Can they trust me? 
Can they tell me something in secret and me not tell anyone? There's stuff I haven't even told Mandy that people have talked to me about. And I don't feel bad about that. Oh, come on. Because it's not her information. Yeah. She's the same way. Mandy's more of a counselor than I am. She has, has tons of relationships with people. I don't know any of the stuff going on, and I don't want to. Yeah. That's a culture of honor. And we're going to defend that here. We're going to fight for it because there are relationships, and you're worth it. My relationship, I know some of us don't even know each other very well yet. We will. But your relationship that I have with you right now is valuable to me. It's valuable to the church here. It's valuable to the leadership. Yeah. We will defend our relationships, yeah. even if our reputation comes under attack. Over the last year, I've had my reputation attacked viciously over defending the honor of someone, of information that wasn't for everyone to have. Right. And I had to just, okay, I'm so sorry you feel that way. If you want the information, you can ask them. But I'm not giving that information away. That's what I, I'm just saying this because I want you to know how we're going to lead the church and how we're going to protect that culture of honor. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> yeah. Would you stand? I bought five of these books from Danny Silk. I want to give them away. If you will read it. If you're not going to read it, don't take it. <laughs> hey, I don't have a problem. There's five there. If you want it, take it. Read it. It's on a culture of honor. It goes deep into what we talked about today. And um, I think it's really important. So if you want that, it's here. Father, we just love you today. I thank you because you're faithful and you're good. I thank you because we all felt you here as we sent. We exalt you. You were here as we sang about your faithfulness. And I, I know that where you are, there's freedom. There's liberty. So, Father, over this church, those here, those that will be listening to the podcast, those that are connected to this house, and those that are on their way to this house, God, I ask that you would help us to learn, to defend, to protect, and to cultivate a culture of honor so that we can show people what heaven looks like. Don't you uh, connect with someone close to you and just pray into that, that God will teach us, that we'll spend our life learning what a culture of honor is. Yeah, Lord, we give our lives to this, to learn this message. God, I'm asking you now for this not to be a sermon, not to be a theological discussion, not to be a, a cute thing that we say we want to have as a culture. God, I'm asking that your word would be activated right now as living and active. I ask that it would move things inside of us. I ask that your word would cut away um, things that don't need to be in our heart concerning this topic. I ask that you would purify our thoughts and our mind concerning this. We have the mind of Christ. And God, we will think about things the way you think about them. I ask that you would teach us what it means to honor. God, I ask that you would give us grace as we practice this. Uh, give us all grace as we practice this in our homes, as we practice this at our workplace, as we practice this with our community. God, give us grace to demonstrate and to show what heaven looks like. <laughs> God, may it be said of us, those people love God. Those people love God. Look at them. Look at the way they love each other. Look at the way they treat one another. They love God. I ask that that will become our testimony, Father. Father, I ask for you to forgive me and to forgive us for the times we've fallen short in honor. 
We're so sorry, God. We're learning. Teach us more. Help us to have more confidence in this, God. I pray that it becomes our default setting. That it becomes our culture when we're not even thinking about it. That we just honor. God, oh, everyone listen to this. Let's put a guard on our mouths. Let's not speak every thought that goes between our ears. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pray this. God, I ask you to, to stick our heart anytime we speak judgment. Cut our heart anytime we have an attitude or a thought of judgment towards someone else. Forgive us for that. God, you told us not to think more highly of ourselves than we should, but to esteem others better than ourselves. God, I ask that you would teach us how to do that. Forgive me for my tongue. here if you need prayer for anything we're right here we'll be right here at the front we'll have a team of people come meet you I mean anything all right please don't leave with a burden please don't leave with something undone when the Lord's here right now he's here like it's his greatest desire to meet all of our needs every one of them he said ask me just ask so that your joy may be full all right so we love you we bless you guys the announcements and things are all going to be out on the coffee shop. Please grab that so you know what's going on. We have a work day Saturday. But, and then Wednesday nights. We'd love for you to come join us on Wednesdays. We have youth service on Wednesday nights. And we have a Bible study. Yeah. We're finishing up Battlefield of the Mind in the next week or so, the next few weeks. And we're going to transition to another, uh, another lesson. We'd love for you to come and be a part of it. All right? Um, and, and it's just a good time. I enjoy being together. So it's been good. And um, so those are up there. You need prayer, we're here. Books are here. We love you guys. We bless you.